to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Lola Jean, who is a sex educator, mental health professional, wrestler, dom, and world record holder for volume squirting solo. Uh, She provides no-frill sex education that we both need and deserve. Lola brings a refreshing understanding to sex, sexuality, and kink to push individuals past what they think they are capable of. Lola offers a variety of classes and talks to help people have better sex with themselves, love that, and each other, like pegging, squirting, and libido awakening. Welcome, Lola Jean. So good to be here, virtually. <laughs> <laughs> virtually, I know. Well, hopefully one day we will get to meet in person and uh, engage in some sort of fun revelry together. Yeah, I'm due for, for an LA trip, both for, for friends and clients. <laughs> Oh, well, please let me know. You are always welcome, even if we have to do like a distance walk or um, I live on a spot that does have some land. So if you need like a space to do outdoor kink sessions, (laughs) maybe we could talk about how that could look. I love it. I love the I love the idea of doing like kink in nature. I think it's hot. I've done it before in Amsterdam. I wrestle a client in the park. It was great. Tell me, wait, was it like a public park? How were people responding? It was a public park. I remember there was like a little girl that was watching us and I'm just like, oh, her adulthood's going to be fun. Cause like, I mean, you think about wrestling, the thing is, is that it doesn't necessarily have to like look sexual. So it just looks like we're just two people roughhousing in the park. And he was a really sweet guy. We got like lunch after that. Um, so it like, I was, I was more like, here's an, a potential thing we can do and he was open to it which I was surprised because usually a lot of people have a lot of shame wrapped up in that but he's like yeah sure sounds great um and it was really fun I've actually been getting really into wrestling like in preparation for this talk I was watching a couple like different wrestling porn things and I am curious like what kind of training you got or is it more just like let's just fucking roll around (laughs) So most people, when they get into wrestling fetish as, as the wrestler, most of the people come from an MMA or jujitsu background. And then they're like, oh shit, this exists. Cool. Uh, maybe I can make some money and have some fun and like use my skill set. Uh, I went into it a, a different way where I found out that this existed. So then I started training in jujitsu. I was already an athletic person. I already was strong and trained, but it's, I am a small person and you definitely need strategy. It's not just strength. I still remember my first wrestling session. I outweighed this guy by maybe five pounds and I threw him around the room for most of the time. And I was gassed at the end. He ended up beating me at the end and I, my whole body hurt for like a couple days. And I was like, well, that can't happen again. I'm not going to rely on just my strength because I'm also not going to always outweigh my opponents. Right. And I imagine like kink too, obviously it can be dangerous. You want to know that you're not like crushing someone's windpipe or harming their spinal cord. And so having, having some information would be key, I think, to having like a safer, fun experience. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's, I mean, I, I teach a lot of like wrestling for lovers courses with the person who trained me LT and I, it just, it's helped so much in my life in general. Like I use different things in sex cause it's easier. I might use different moves when I'm lifting boxes cause it's easier, but it just gives you like a really different body awareness. I, I like to say that I use my feet as hands a lot too, but you just have more of body awareness in relation to someone else's body. Oh, what can that help with in terms of just like sexuality in general, this like body awareness? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's about also being in tune with your body and the way that it moves. So it's probably just about being more fluid. Like I'm sure if you like see a dancer, fuck, it's probably beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) If they're like in tune with their body, I think. Yeah. And the other person's body and the relation with it. But I mean, within with wrestling as a fetish, it's a lot of like monkeying around, climbing on top of people's bodies, which is a lot of what sex can be like, too. I, yeah, I think what I like about it is the the tease element of it. You know, it's just a lot of like grinding. I, I think my favorite part of sex is the part before clothes are taken off. And so this idea of just like rubbing and grinding without like direct genital touching sounds so fun. Yeah. Yeah, and just like I don't know, rough housing in general. I like like pretending to hide from someone and like moving around so that they can't like grab me or something like that. Like I like the damselly kind of thing too. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> so one of the things that you do teach classes on outside of wrestling stuff is libido awakening, and I, I really liked that term. And I, I would love to hear a little more on like. I don't know. Let's just, I'm like barely awake right now in life. So let's get like libido woke. (laughs) So what gets in the way, I guess, of our libido to be woke? I mean, mainly ourselves. The thing with my career is like, I started out probably talking about more explicit sex acts. And then the more that I got into it and to explain things, the less about sex that it became. So in terms of our libido, our orgasm, all these things, we have so much more control over this than we give ourselves credit to. And we just, we succumb to it all the time of, well, I'm a low libido person. My sex drive isn't high. I don't, I don't think I'm feeling very horny. And we just let that take over us. It's like a sentence. I'm sentenced to a low libido, but we can have a lot more control over that than we think we can. And there's ways that we can trick our body or trick our mind, figuring out what are ways that we can tap into it. So the first thing is just letting people know that like, you're not just a low libido human or a high libido human. We all have things that affect us in our life. And similar to with like responsive um, or spontaneous desire, it's not that, oh, I'm not horny now, so we can't have sex. Like, well, maybe there's something that we can try that might be able to let you tap into your libido. And then if you don't, we don't have to have sex. And if you do, maybe we will. So there's still the consent piece that's involved, but it's figuring out how you can kind of hack or like short circuit your body and mind almost, because we tend to be people that are driven by our bodies or by our minds. So one of those things needs to be stimulated or we need to figure out maybe a way where we can feel safe to be in a space where we can be aroused. Yeah. Like what will it take for you to be open to the idea of getting turned on? Yeah. I had a client once who was telling me that he was talking to his wife about, this is a sex coaching client, not a wrestling one. Um, But (laughs) he was telling me that he was messaging his wife like, oh, I'm so excited when like the kids go off to college and leave the house because then we're going to get all this sexy alone time. 
And then they had crazy sex that night. And he's like, well, clearly that turned her on. I was like, or the act of you talking to her and then making her feel intimate, vulnerable, put her in a space where she could be more turned on. So it's not ex- exactly like an A to B correlation. Right. And I think in the past episode with, I think it was with Emily Nagoski. And if you are just tuning in for the first time, feel free to go back and check out that episode um, or check out one of her books, Come As You Are. Um, You know, we talked a lot about the brakes and the accelerators. And so now I guess for libido awakening, we're talking about the accelerators. So like, what are the things that you need to have happen to be open to the idea of getting turned on? So how did you find some of that stuff for yourself? Like, of like, oh, this is a thing that would awaken me. Like, where does one start if they're dormant right now? So there, like I said before, there's like body and mind things. So one of one of the things you can do with your body is also just like mimicking sexual acts, moving your hips. Like just, you can just lay on your bed, put on some Rihanna or a song that like kind of gets you grooving and then just move your body around and just notice how that makes you feel differently. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be like horned up right away, but just getting that blood flow or getting into that rhythm because our, our bodies and minds are like smart in a way, but they're also dumb. So if we start doing this motion that we're used to doing, like if we mimic maybe what our body does when we orgasm and we just start trying to do that on our own, like tensing our legs or breathing in a certain pattern, our body might be like, oh shit, we're okay. Got it. Hold on. Let me catch up to where we're at. So that's Mm. one way of doing it. The second is figuring out Again, it's what makes you feel safe. Uh, what do you like a lot of why do you enjoy sex in the first place or, or whatever you define sex as? And trying to foster that. So I have sex for intimacy. You know, if uh, Cindy Darnell, who's a sex therapist, she asks a lot of her clients, why do you have sex? And if you say mm-hmm. I have sex to orgasm, then you could masturbate. So why do you have sex? Um, skin on skin, like body contact. I have sex for intimacy. So I'm trying to figure out what is a way that I can foster intimacy with myself when I'm masturbating? Or what is a way that I can foster intimacy with someone else? What are the things that generally get me going? And I know that I like a lot of like, talking, a lot of like even storytelling or back and forth, a lot of sexting. There are things that we can do like in preparation. So if I, if I want to get like horned up tonight, maybe I'm going to start like texting with somebody, or maybe I'm going to start recording something, writing something. We can even do this for ourselves. So a lot in the libido awakening class, I instruct people, and this was like during COVID too. So I instruct people to create like audio erotica or like instruct yourself what to do, like masturbation, record it, listen to it three days later, you'll probably forget what you said. And because we know ourselves Mm. better than anyone else. So you can do all these things within trial and error. There isn't like a, you know, something that's going to work for everyone. But the main thing is to stop sentencing ourselves. Um, I can suggest a bunch of things, but at the end of the day, you're going to like one of them, 10 of them or none of them. So it's all a starting point. But it's to stop sentencing ourselves and just to be curious because we're never going to stop learning about ourselves sexually or about our partner sexually because we're always going to keep changing and the world's going to keep changing and technology is going to keep changing. 
Yeah, I liked what you said about, you know, there's not like a one, two step process that's going to work for everybody. And it's going to maybe change day to day. So maybe one day I'm like, oh, this was a thing that I really needed that left me feeling open to getting aroused. That might be different the next week or the next day based on what's going on in my life. And if you're having trouble thinking of where to start, something Something that I do with my clients is, um, which I think I also took from like the come as you are book, but I was doing it a little differently before, which is thinking of like, was there a good time that you had with yourself or another person, like the best sex that you can imagine. And I hope you have something to think of in that. And if you don't, I think that's obviously something that would need to be maybe covered and supportive and, and taken a little deeper. But if you can think of like, what was the best sex I had? And then really getting specific on what made it great. Like what were the smells? What were the sounds? What were the things being done? What were the movements? What were the motions? And I think that can be a place to start informing you right? On like what, what worked for you. And the same thing of when you're learning about someone else of, and I think an important thing is when you're talking about this with someone else, especially if it has to do with kink, making it clear that like what you tell me doesn't mean I'm going to do it to you, but it's a good way to understand if like someone's a submissive and you're asking them about like, tell me an experience that you really enjoyed as a submissive with someone else or a space, like a time you felt very safe and have them explain that to you. And it lets you more into their mind. But again, you have to be very explicit of, I'm not going to do those things to you just because you told me that you like them. Mm, that's a, I think that's a great point. So what do we do? This is something I struggle with with clients, but what do we do when the thing that maybe we feel like, okay, you know, I need that to be open to getting turned on. What if your partner is unwilling or doesn't want to do that with you? That is totally fine. And I think that we need to get away from the idea that just because somebody loves us or cares about us means that they will want to do our thing. Um, and it's finding a way to find something that both of us are comfortable with. So a good example of that is even for like names to be called um, or names mm -hmm. to call our genitals. So maybe I like my genitals to be called a cunt, but my partner's like, I'm, I'm not saying that word. And I was like, okay, cool. Then you can call it a pussy. Um, or if my partner says, I need you to call me, sir. I'm like, fuck no. Uh, how about daddy? How does that one work? <laughs> so we should always have different options, but if your partner is unwilling, there's different things that you can do. You can figure out why that is. What is it about it that makes them uncomfortable that they don't like it? And then also what is the feeling that you're trying to capture from that thing? And is there something else that will still have that feeling that you can do? So if what the thing you like about this thing is that well, I'm getting a lot of attention, then what's another way that you can get attention? If there's something where you're just feeling a lot of physical touch, and I mean, an example I give a lot is with pegging for people that like, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, is it the like in your butt part? Is it the dynamic part? Like once you understand that, then it's like, okay, well, I don't have to penetrate you anally. I can just kind of like hump your butt and that's going to feel like this power thing you're after or. I don't have to penetrate you anally to stimulate your prostate either. So yeah, we or just wear the strap, wear the strap on and notice how that feels. Exactly. So like so many different things sexually, there's plenty of ways that we can achieve it. Like within kink and sexuality, the only thing that's stopping us is the bounds of our minds and creativity. Totally. And I love that so much about it sounds like the work that you do is also focused on on solo sex you know sex with yourself and self-pleasure and i think in that same vein and what you're talking about 
Are there ways that you can get that need met? So maybe your partner's like, okay, I'm not really willing or able or ready to do that yet, but hey, I'd be down to listen to this audio that you made talking about that stuff or listening to this like, you know, Dipsy, which is a, if you haven't been listening, they're one of my awesome sponsors, love them, but something like that where you get to hear the content or you get to watch it together. So just another, like you said, being creative and not depending, I guess not depending on your partner to turn you on. Yeah, because I mean, they can have a big role, but ultimately it's up to us at the end of the day. Like we are the ones that are in control of our orgasm, of our squirting, of our ejaculation or any of those things. And sometimes our body doesn't work the way that we want them to as well, but it's not solely one person's fault necessarily. So, okay, you were talking about like ways that you can turn yourself on or do that as well. So I, I, up until like early pandemic, I had been a relationship virgin. So I was a single person forever. And I felt a lot of things in sex and sexuality was, well, I have to wait until I have a committed partner to do that. And so many things I feel like I didn't have access to. And that's really frustrating, especially as someone who wants to explore sex and sexuality. So I purposely tried to open things up where if you're a couple, that's great, but here's how you can do these things solo, or you can still have a one night stand that doesn't have to be shitty. Um, you don't have to like have a committed emotional relationship in order to be treated a certain way. Um, so if you are like, whether you're with a person too, and they don't want to do your thing necessarily, there's always a lot of options. I think one thing is that there, so I put things in three categories. There's things that we actively enjoy. There's things we're ambivalent about, and there's things that we actively don't enjoy. Someone actively doesn't enjoy something don't mess with that. If they're ambivalent about it, I don't love it. I don't hate it. You can play with that. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But that's something where if my partner likes getting hit in the face and I'm like, I don't want to do that. That seems mean. And then if I see them getting hit in the face and they have just the joy on their face, I'm like, well, I like that. I like, I like the joy in your face. So I want to do that part of it. That might be a way we play with it. Um, where, whether we see them engaging with it with someone else, with themselves, then that could change it for us as well. Um, yeah, like if you have a preconceived notion on that, like hitting is, consensual hitting is abuse, and that's what you associate with it, understandable, it wouldn't feel sexy. But like you said, if you get to see the joy that it brings, maybe that might shift. Yeah. And especially for people who maybe, I, I always say that we shouldn't be limiting our erotic learning to the people we want to fuck uh, because A, it just puts a lot more pressure because we'll generally have pressure with that person because we like them or love them and they like or love us. But for people who maybe have more security with the things we're interested in, use that as a resource. Also, we have the internet where you can be anonymous. But one of my favorite things to ask people who are into something that who knows, maybe I did pass a judgment on it or have some associated shame, but I asked them why they like it or what they get out of it. And I'd say like nine times out of 10, they're going to humanize that for you, potentially even get you interested in that. I mean, I don't know you well enough to say, but just from talking to you and seeing the work you do, I think we both seem like pretty confident humans <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. And a lot of this stuff, a lot of these talks are hard to do if you're struggling with the confidence or feeling your own power to do that. And so how do you help folks with that um, in the work that you do to, to kind of gain that confidence and power to be able to actually know this stuff or have these conversations or like say or demand that from a partner? 
Yeah. So I haven't been confident out of the gate. I haven't been powerful out of the gate. I think that's important to know. But it, the first thing is like getting an understanding of what confidence is because we all define it very differently. And the way that I like to think of it as that like really lends itself well to this conversation is the ability to survive discomfort, to withstand that and know that you'll be okay and know that that's not the defining feature of you. So it's not about like, oh, I have a hot body. I have a good job. I'm really smart. Like I feel good about myself. It's just being okay. And what, what BDSM and, and being a pro dominant taught me wasn't about getting power. It was just about understanding it of, cause you don't need to have power in every situation. You don't need to assert yourself in every situation, but having an understanding of it also helps you from maybe subconsciously giving your power away. But confidence itself, I think we, firstly, we, we just ha- think of it differently than we should, but confidence is the foundation for literally everything and and for consent the more work that i've done within consent the more that i think confident and consent like those are just parallel to each other because with consent we need to have difficult conversations some consent will be really easy a lot of it will not be easy and in order to do that and to have someone else feel in a safe space we need to be able to withstand discomfort and these conversations about sex and sexuality can be uncomfortable until you sit in the moment and jet setting Jasmine says this, like I'll blink, I'll breathe. Like you are going to be fine. You will survive this. You can tell yourself that. And the more that you do it, the easier it becomes of that. Like I'm going to handle the situation, understanding if someone is projecting onto me. So I don't take that on myself. And that's a slow practice thing. And what I'm working on with a couple of other pro-dominants is a fake university called the Rehab Center for Insecure Adults, and we're working on a foundational series on power. It's it's 10 weeks. You're going to love it. It is so nerdy and heady, and we need to have a lot of definitions on the screen, but it really is just about understanding power, understanding where power comes from, and then also what power is sustainable, and then how you can use it and misuse it. So it's, it's not like how to win friends and influence people. It's not about taking power. I think when we think in our minds of the dominatrix, it's that they're loud and they're aggressive and they're taking power all the time. But a lot of clients just kind of give you their power. If they waltz in, they're like, hey, I want you to abuse me and tell me that like I don't deserve to be anywhere near you. Like that's easy, but it's not always that easy. Sometimes people come in, they're not really sure, or if you're not doing it professionally, you do it personally. Some people really aren't sure what they want necessarily. And you also need to have that consent to make sure you're not abusing them when they don't want to be abused. (laughs) Great point. There are already so many great resources in this episode, but I'm going to take a quick pause just to acknowledge and give you some discount codes from our amazing, generous advertisers. Remember that the more that you support the advertisers, the more that you support the podcast and help it keep going. I personally am super busy, and the first advertiser is Saqqara. Um, it really helps to have yummy food ready to eat when I have a really busy week. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off of your first order when you go to saqqara.com slash S&S or enter code S&S at checkout. <laughs> 
Sakara.com slash S&S. Sakara makes organic ready-to-eat meals, and they are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients and are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Sadly, they're only available in the U.S. right now. Sorry for you international listeners, but maybe they will expand soon, especially if you order them and you're in the U.S. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials for optimal nutrition. Sakara's supplement packs called the Foundation and their metabolism super powder deliver support for gut health, energy, immunity, and healthy skin. I'm personally not vegan and I really enjoyed the meals and that should tell you something. They are quality and it's like eating a rainbow. They are super colorful. Plus, they have new menus every week. And right now, Sakara is offering you listeners 20% off their first order when you go to sakra.com slash sands. That's sakara.com slash sands to get 20% off of your first order. sakara.com slash sands. And while you're feeding your body, don't forget to feed your mind, your soul, and your genitals. Welcoming back Dipsy. And thank you so much to Dipsy for continuing to support the podcast. I really appreciate you. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories that are designed to turn you on. And listeners of the podcast, Dipsy is offering you a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. Especially in a long-term relationship, I usually need something more than, hey, want to fuck to get me in the mood. I love listening to Dipsy as a way to start some all-day foreplay. Sometimes I'll listen to it and that's enough for me, and other times it's for self-pleasure or to help me warm up for partnered play. They also have wellness sleep soundscapes, and I often turn those on to go to sleep too, so it's really your one-stop shop. Basically, it's my go-to for winding up and winding down. And now Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash s and s that's a 30-day free trial when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash s-a-n-d-s dipsystories.com slash s and s now back to lola jean is there anything that you feel like was most helpful for you in being able to sit with that discomfort of like trying that confidence on so one of the biggest tips I give people actually in my like intro to dominance classes is silence. Um, I, I often say dom like a strict mom. If you think about the mom who gets shit done, it's not the mom who's like yelling at her kid. It's the mom. It's the one who gives you the look. And it's like, mm. she's like, do you know what you did? It's the, like, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Um, but one, and then that, that sort of can bring up anyone's projection with, even when you did it just now, it's like this, I noticed this like tension in my chest of like, Oh, (laughs) so you could be, you could be nervous and not saying anything because you don't have anything to say, but do it in a way that maybe seems like I'm just being silent because I want to be silent. But it's a thing that we don't have to do it in high pressure situations. If you're having lunch with a friend, just practice being silent and just actually notice how uncomfortable that makes other people, how uncomfortable it probably makes ourselves at first. But I had an old roommate who said, if you give people enough space, they will tell you everything that you need to know. And I think that that is so true. And just the practice of silence, that's the first piece of discomfort you're going to be able to sit through and be like, oh, it's going to be okay. 
at a young age, because I was bullied a lot and I didn't have friends, I like trained myself to be comfortable doing things alone, going to the movies alone, eating dinner alone, like as a teenager, when you're a pretty like insecure person in general, usually. So these are these like little bits of training yourself to be comfortable in discomfort. So you don't have to go into this conversation about like sex with your loved one right away. There's other little things you can do to start to train for that. So it sounds like your rehab for insecure adults like really resonates with you and your own journey from like insecurity to feeling more confident. Oh, yeah. I mean, we always want to be the person that we never had for themselves. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book on confidence, too, because I had someone in my DMs who was a follower once, and they said to me, they're like, I really don't mean to be offensive. And they didn't. But they're like, I heard you interviewed somewhere. <laughs> you know, when someone says that, it's I like know. probably going to be offensive. <laughs> but it's like, not, thank you for cushioning it. <laughs> yeah, I could tell by the way they were saying it. And I like, I didn't take offense to it any at all. But they were saying, I was listening to you talking in this interview. And I was so shocked when I saw a picture of you. Because I like, you just look normal. Like, you don't look like crazy hot or like, or, or like, you know, what people think of a confident person. And of course, like so many people are like, how are you not insulted by that? And I'm like, because I don't rely on people's validation of my looks for my confidence. I don't give a shit. I think I'm fine. Uh, like, and I thought, and honestly, I took that as a really good compliment. I'm like, oh, my confidence and presence is so great that you thought that I like, looked better than I do or presented myself better than I do. And that has like stuck with me for a while because like, you know, I'm technically I'm nobody and I have all of this confidence. So what what's the reason that someone else can't have that too? Is there anything that stands out to you as what was most helpful for you in getting there? I mean, I know that's like a whole maybe lifetime journey. And it's, I see it as it's not a goal to get to. I think it's an ongoing thing. So I don't think one, I don't know if you disagree with this, but at least for me, I don't think one gets confident and then stays there. I think it can sometimes feel like a consistent challenge or sometimes that voice comes up in our head that questions things, or we see an advertisement that makes us feel shitty about our bodies. So I think it's a, it's an ongoing muscle. Yeah. And part of the thing that makes that makes confidence and power ethical is that questioning of like, wait, but am I really good in this moment? Like that's, if you're not doing that, then that's where it can get a little bit into like narcissism or, or cocky. I don't really like the word cocky though. Cause I identify as that too. Um, but no, I think there's, but there's like, like narcissistic or sociopathic of like, yeah. I never question myself and I'm always you need right self-regulation and, and like, and also you don't need to take in everyone's opinion, but I am a big fan of, having people in your life that you know are going to hold you accountable and be honest with you. So we all have the friends that, you know, you get stood up by someone, they're like, fuck that person. They're the worst. You're the best. They don't deserve you. That's fun, but that's probably not the person you want to hold you accountable because it sounds like they're just going to defend you to the death. So I think it's always good to have people in your court that will be upfront with you, but also want the best for you. Um, but to your prior question, I do like, I think it is an ongoing journey, but there were two like moments or things in my life where I feel like I was like, wait a second, everything's a lie. <laughs> um, and one of those was just realizing how much power I let men specifically hold over me and mm -hmm. other people's attraction opinions. And when I started like, just like, fucking around for the second time for my pleasure in my like earlier ish twenties, 
that's when I just realized that of how much of it was a lie and how much power I had and like of what people were saying to keep me down. And then at the right. same time, as it was happening, I started pro-doming. And that's really when I started understanding power dynamics. I understood of if I just said no and then walked away, what would happen? It's not about controlling people, but it's about how do my actions influence other people's. And if I'm silent for long enough, like telling the truth that they're saying versus a projection that they're trying to put out there. And when you're, when you're a dominant who also really likes interrogations, (laughs) then you get really good at uncomfortable conversations. You get really good at like the verbal and then you just have the confidence that I can enter any situation. I might not know 100% what to do, but I don't have to because I don't have to do that. And that's okay. Weakness and powerlessness are not the same thing. So you can be weak and confident. Be like, I'm not good at that. I don't know that. It's okay. Mm, I like that. Weakness and powerlessness are two different things. How would you define powerlessness then? Powerlessness more has to do with giving your power away to people unconsciously. Um, So again, we don't have to have power in every situation. So if I don't have power, it doesn't mean I'm powerless. I just I'm choosing not to, or I don't need to have power in a certain situation. Um, but for powerlessness, it also implies that someone else has power over you, whether you've given that to them, whether they have taken that from you consensually or unconsensually. Um, yeah. So it's not, weakness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Powerlessness can be a bad thing. And it has to do with, there's so many different sources of power. So it's just, lacking them. And some of the sources we're born into, some of the sources we earn, um, and it doesn't make any of those sources bad or good. It just depends how we use them. Like some people have power from privilege or status. Um, They can use or misuse that. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that a status power is a bad one. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is an even bigger conversation and I'll have to like bring you back for a whole episode about it. But um, have you been following any of the army hammer stuff? Yeah. And I'll bring back my, I have two headmistresses that I do this whole series with that I can, we can bring back to when, when we're ready to launch, but yeah, I actually, yeah, please do. Yeah. I answered an interview on the army hammer story. A good friend of mine, Empress Wu is, has done, um, Tina Horns, why are people into that podcast on cannibalism? I've hired her for events before. She's really into vor and like anything to do with the mouth consuming vomit like anything and just so for people who don't know vor is the desire to like consume or watch like consuming of another so that could that doesn't have to necessarily be cannibalism but it could be this desire of like wanting to be absorbed or like t- fully taken by someone but less about like the kinks because i think if people are listening to this podcast they know that i'm a fan of like anything that's consensual um but i guess i'm more curious about when does the power become dangerous or not dangerous in a fun way but like when does it that power dynamic becomes something that is abusive and no longer kinky. Yeah. So power is everywhere. Power is everything and power dynamics are everywhere. No matter if you're like me and my partner are complete equals, there's a power dynamic in there somewhere. Yeah. Based on gender, socioeconomic status, religion, whatever. And if there are things where there is an inherent power dynamic, how to make that consensual is just to make people aware and make people feel safe. So Thinking about, especially in like 
a workplace. I'm trying to work on more like consent and communication, especially for people like who are bosses. Because if you're like, my door is open, you can come to me anytime. You're, they're still a power dynamic. So how do you make yeah. that feel actually safe? So if there is something like with Army Hammer, like that, there's a lot more things there than just power dynamics at play. Because he also, I don't, I don't think he's very aware or comfortable with his kink. I don't think he's had a place to explore it at all. But also he's in a position where people don't say no to him he has Mm -hmm. as a celebrity talking to people who are just civilians there's an inherent power dynamic and there has to be an awareness and recognition of that um and and also just acknowledging it to the other person that like i'm aware of this like implicit power dynamic or bias or things like that that exist um i think with like army hammer specifically like that's it that's just an issue of someone who has a lot of power that isn't aware of it so if someone says or informed or informed yeah and and so like the people that he's talking to aren't informed so if someone says yes to him that's not the same as like a consensual yes because people feel like they have to because he hasn't set that groundwork now there's also i think especially with something like this where like fantasy doesn't have to be reality and if you're dealing with something that also is illegal if you do it like castration is a very common kink among subs but like i can't tell you how many emails i've gotten from subs that are like i want permanent damage in my balls i want that i'm like i'm not doing i'm not gonna actually castrate you um but there's different but ways. But we get really close. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like you can't actually, like, there's things you physically can't do in kink. And one of the things that in the Army Hammer situation that was missed is a discussion between fantasy and reality. If there was a discussion of, like, I want to get deep into this fantasy, but I want you to know that, like, none of, nothing will translate to reality unless we discuss it and have this and consent prior um and that's the biggest piece when you deal with like i'm not actually gonna cut off your thumb and put it in my pocket yeah like maybe unless unless we discuss it (laughs) yeah and then maybe it's like maybe you put like a bunch of hot dogs where your fingers are and we pretend that i do like there's so many ways you can go about this and make it satisfying for that person without it like hurting someone Um, i feel like you came to that idea so quickly you must have done this in some kind of castration scene before where it's like let's use a hot dog (laughs) i had there was the first time i was approached about this was somebody who wanted me to consume them and they wanted me to like train my stomach with meat so i'd be able to consume them they were going to be inserted inside of me and i remember i was trying to really like toe the line of fantasy and i was like i think this person is really speaking in reality though they are not (laughs) confirming when i talk about the fantasy so i'm like i'm not i'm gonna let this one go and i was like please don't harm yourself and then i ended it (laughs) (laughs) that's so it's tough right and like you said a lot of us haven't been taught that it's okay to have fantasy and that it doesn't always have to be a reality like I mean, we have fantasies all the time, even if it's not sexual, just like someone cuts me off in traffic. Like, I wish I could throw rocks at their car or like an ex pissed me off. I wish I could do X, Y, and Z to them. And we don't do it, but it can still be like a delicious fantasy. Oh yeah. Like there's a whole thing with threats and like that being the salacious part of it, but nothing actually happening, especially with blackmail. That's a really big one where it's all about, it's fear play. So it's about the threat of things, but you don't have to necessarily do that. What would an example of that look like in a in a scene, the blackmail stuff? What a really dirty one that I've heard of that I haven't used because I don't think I have the gusto for it is uh, some sort of incriminating photo and putting that in a draft email 
And then in the two box, you put everybody in your company or people you care about and just letting that sit in their draft box. (laughs) I love it. And I also like don't trust the internet. So knowing me, I would be like little slip of the wrist. Like it's out. (laughs) Right. That's that's, that's the thing. I'm like, oh, if that happened. But there's, yeah, there's plenty. Maybe you have to like remove like the the L in Gmail. So it looks like it's like that, but there's no actual fear of it being sent. (laughs) Yeah. Or I mean, a lot of it too is just the what if. So I, I, I'm not doing it as much with, with COVID, but when I worked at a um, psychiatry office, I was a medical technician for something called transcranial magnetic stimulation. And one of my favorite treatments to do is for OCD. And with OCD, you had to trigger it. You had to trigger the compulsion. And with a lot of that was what if, but maybe, but there's a possibility um, in doing that. So it, that's also why like psychology and BDSM are, are so related, but you can still get that same trigger you don't have to do the thing. You could be like, well, what if I put a, what if I put a B right next to you? Yeah. Our bodies can quickly go into trauma response just at the thought of something. Yeah. I'm not encouraging trauma response. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm relating the two to each other because they are very yes. similar. Sorry. Let's, let's call it. I mean, <laughs> yes, that's true about trauma response, but let's call it uh, arouse body nervous system arousal. And like, we don't want to like way right yeah. back to libido. Like right. there's so many things that you can do. <laughs> Um, well, just because I'm wary of our time in like a, in a sharp left turn that maybe has no uh, connection. I mean, I think it does have connection to what we're talking about, but just so we can like get it in there. Let's talk about squirting for a little bit. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, so I have had someone on the podcast. I encourage people to go back to it, but it was from a a cis male perspective of helping your do that with your partner and sort of more technique stuff. So I think this is a obviously much different and probably, I don't want to say better. It's, it's different. Better. <laughs> yeah. Better to be able to hear like, okay, how does one do this with themselves and get to know this part of their own body and not rely on someone to like be the, the squirt master. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that really grinds my gears a lot too. This is something where like I started teaching about this because I didn't see myself in the education. I was like, no, like I can disprove all these things in two seconds. I don't need another. I don't even have to penetrate myself in order to do this. And that all the people that have like the techniques, I mean, we can have as many techniques as we want, but it's really just about acclimating to someone else's body. And I mean, one of the things I tell people is if you put me in a squirting study 10 years ago, I'm dry. I'm not squirting. But if you put me in it now, I'm going to crush it. And that's because it like shocking the person who has the vagina has a role in this and understanding and they can prevent themselves. They can enable it. And there's plenty of different ways to do it. Um, Specifically, really just talking about it's not like, how do I do this? It's here's what the body process is like. Here's what it feels like. Here are things you can try out as you play around with your pelvic floor muscles um, in doing so, which can maybe it leads to orgasm. Maybe it leads to squirting. Maybe it leads to both. To just pleasure or nothing. Right. But it's really just about putting it in someone else's hands. And I, I feel like squirting just became about cis men for whatever reason, which is just interesting because it has absolutely nothing to do with them. Um, and that's part of the reason I set a world record is because I was gonna I was proving a point that like you don't know as much as you think you do. Uh, I can do it without penetrating myself. I can do it without orgasming and I can how, do it by how? myself. I just rub my clit. 
And do you think that's just because your body works that way? Do you think it was because it was a skill you learned about your body? Do you think everyone can learn that? I mean, I, w- I would say no, because all bodies respond differently. All but- bodies respond differently. But I, I think any, and then I've taught many classes and people over the years and like people, I've had a lot of people that come back, whether it's a day, a year, multiple years later, and they figure it out like on their own time and by themselves. There's so many people out there that are shaming people to do with squirting when like, is it something you even want to do? Cause I, I have a love hate relationship with squirting. Um, but it's something that I, I taught myself how to do after I did it with another person. And I was like, what my body can do that. I had no idea. So then I learned it myself and I figured out how to do that. And then I'm like, I wonder if I can score it in other ways. I wonder if I can change the, like, the amount. I wonder if I can do it on command. Can I change like the distance of it and different things like that? Just because I was curious and kind of hacking my body. And then I figured out like ways in which like inhibit me from squirting, like ways when my body doesn't work. Um, Cause I do performances too at like different venues. So like under high pressure situations, I would have to understand it. But I, I think anyone with a vulva can learn how to do so. They just have to have a coordinated pelvic floor, not necessarily a strong one, and relationship with their vulva. Coordinated meaning you can kind of isolate and flex different muscles in a way that feels comfortable or... Not necessarily, because like the thing is when you engage with the pelvic floor, you're kind of engaging with the whole hammock, all of it. Coordinated meaning it's not just about strength, it's about contraction, it's about relaxing, and then it's um, about the... um, blanking on the word but like for the pushing I don't want to say pushing because that like likens it to pee a bit um but it's having all of those movements because you could have a really strong pelvic floor but if you're contracting and then you need to contract more release and you can't do that that's that's dysfunction so Mm. the I I love pelvic floor therapists because it's one of the most important parts of our bodies but one of my favorites. So would that be a good way to maybe get started of is like going to pelvic floor therapy and know and getting to know your body a little more? People usually only go to them when they have dysfunction, which is unfortunate because it controls urination, defecation, orgasm. It's it's so important. And for whatever reason, the Kegel has like insane PR and that just became the thing to do. It's a thing depending on what your goals are, what you need to do with your pelvic floor. But it, I think I would love for people to be more concerned with their pelvic floor and not just strengthening it because then maybe there will, there will be less dysfunction. Yeah, I would go as far to say as like, don't just automatically be like, let's do Kegels because you don't know your body. Like if you don't know what's happening in your pelvic floor and in your body, you may be someone who maybe doesn't need Kegels or maybe you already have a really tense pelvic floor. And so I I like this idea of going to a pelvic floor therapist, even when there's nothing wrong to sort of get to know what is it that your body needs? Yeah. Because often it's when, like, especially for insurance to cover it, you would need like your GP to refer you there, and which kind of sucks. Yeah. yeah, and like, there's still people that like, especially for people who are about to or have given birth, just because like that it changes your body. Um, so those that's when people will usually go, and maybe they're like, it's like everything feels fine, you're doing great. Maybe they give you a couple exercises to make your poops better, um, which can honestly change your day. So you're not really losing. And I think I, going back to something you said before about the pushing and pee, it's like, there's this age old question of like, is squirt pee? And it's like, 
No, and I'm so tired of that question because even if it was pee, like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. It, what <laughs> then I've been- pee. If it feels good, then fucking pee. Put a mat down and pee. Well, it's also, like, what? so I don't like uh, the, like, yoni eggs. I fucking hate the word yoni. But I don't like those eggs for the reasons of, like, strengthening your pelvic floor. But you I mean like the, it. the goop Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. jade eggs? <laughs> yeah. But I Ugh. like it for muscle coordination because you can keep one of those in your vagina and you can pee and, like, it's still there. So mm. it's, 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 it's interesting for muscle coordination. But, like, they're two different functions. And I have done both of them back to back. Like, the, that, what you're saying is true though like no matter how many times we answer this question people will still ask it so who what's the point what is the record of the squirting like are we talking amount or times and like if it's amount how much liquid it was amount um because so it was in a one minute period but i'm like i don't think i can squirt for a whole minute so i was like should i time it out or do it as fast as i could and my um, my colleague was like, just do it as fast as you can. So in 25 <laughs> seconds, I squirted 1,250 milliliters, which is 1.25 liters, I believe about like five or and a, and a quarter cups or something like that. I'm, I'm, I did it in like oh. just general like milliliters so it could be worldwide. I'm so, I'm so bad with like all things size. So like what would the equivalent of that be in terms of like a bottle of something? Well, like, you know, like think about like a liter bottle. More than that. Yeah. More than that. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I've started, like, whenever I, like, get drinks or things, I'll just look at it, the amount, and be like, oh, my God, I squirted I've squirted this. That's crazy. (laughs) Did you have to, like, really hydrate before? Does that matter? I did, but I think that's more of, like, a mental thing because I was was peeing so much after that, and I was like, there can't be anything left in my body after that. Uh, But it's – for me, that's – it's more mental. But I've also been dehydrated and squirted, like, buckets, so – I don't, I don't think it's 100% necessary. It can take a little bit longer, maybe, if I was dehydrated. Oh, well, thank you. Now, every time I see a liter bottle, I'm going to think of oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, like, sad about running out of time because there's, there's always more. But yeah. um, definitely come back with your colleagues um, if you would like to talk about anything. Yeah, we were supposed to shoot today our second chapter, but um, there might be a COVID scare, so we are not oh. shooting. Yeah, it's last week we had to like like not do it because one of the people's immunocompromised and she's like, I'm feeling sick, so we've just been delaying it. But that's my focus for this year. And then once we get the power series up, we're going to have different, like one of my favorite intimacy coordinators is going to do a talk about like um, nervous system and boundaries and stuff like love that. that. Yeah, it's going to be nerdy as shit. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> How can you tell that I'm a nerd? <laughs> Slept and scholars, come on. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's the glasses. Um, <laughs> what are some ways people can follow you and stay in touch with that so they can be up to date when these things come out? Yeah, so my website solagene.com and then all of my handles on like Twitter and Instagram are lolagene.com with the DOT spelled out. Um, the rehab center for insecure adults, we have like a, we have an Instagram. We're just <laughs> so right? funny. We have an Instagram handle we're squatting on. Um, but if people follow me there, then like I'll announce it whenever that's ready and done. It just depends on how fast I've been learning how to video edit. So it depends how fast we get that together, but it'll be like a, like a teachable kind of a thing on like those platforms. So we want to do it so people can pay monthly and get access to like a bunch of things. 
Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me. And uh, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Um, I'll try to do more Twitter in the upcoming months just because, you know, Instagram sucks, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, feel free to email me with questions or if you want to hear a certain topic at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.